welcome back to Linux Reality. My name is Chess Griffin, and this is episode number 68. And in this episode, we've got another interview. Uh, before we get to that, though, I've got a couple of little housekeeping items to get to. Uh, first is in regards to the forms. I've had a bunch of people sign up lately, and I realized that some of the uh, registration emails were not going out, and that was due to a problem a, uh, on the uh, the mail server that I'm using on, on the server where I, where I had the forms. Uh, this is on my own server. It's a VPS, and so I've got a mail server set up to send the outgoing emails, and it was working, and then it stopped working, and I think I've got all that straightened out. So if you haven't uh, gotten your registration email, just drop me a line at linuxreality at gmail.com, and I'll go ahead and activate your account and get you all squared away. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is in regards to the Odeo web-based recording service. Unfortunately, I think I'm going to have to turn this off. And the problem is this. It used to be that Odeo would record these things in MP3 format. So I'd get an email and I'd log in and it's really stupid. I mean, the site, I don't know. It used to be where you could click on a link and it would just download the MP3. And then uh, a while ago when you clicked on it, it got you, you know, gave you a 404 error. And so I'd have to go to a different page where they had all these embedded players look at the source code for that page, find the MP3 download link, and just download it manually. And that was working fine. But now, unfortunately, they've switched uh, formats. It's no longer MP3. It's now in, like, Flash Video, like .flv. And I don't know why they switched to that for audio. Uh, but um, anyway, I've tried uh, downloading these files. I've gotten a few uh, voicemails, you know, recordings through the audio service and, and used uh, FFmpeg and, and some other tools, command line tools to extract the audio and with varying degrees of success. And it was just a real pain in the neck. So uh, unfortunately, I think it's, you know, it's just kind of a hassle. And I don't like the fact that they switched to that uh, flash video format. So I'm going to turn that off, I think. And uh, if you've recorded something through that service, I apologize. I'm not going to be able to get to it. Uh, please do um, feel free to just record something on your own. I mean, if you've got a microphone to be able to record uh, something on the website, then you know, just record an MP3 or an AUG and shoot it my way as an attachment to linuxreality at gmail.com. And, of course, I have the various uh, listener hotline numbers and the gizmo account and all that kind of stuff, and all that contact information is on uh, linuxreality.com slash contact. So I do apologize if you were using the audio service. It just, you know, it just it hasn't been working out lately. So uh, I do have some other means that hopefully will work. So I think with that, let's get to this, in this interview with uh, Jonas Crone. All right. Well, today I am speaking with Jonas Crone. Jonas, thank you very much for coming on. Welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Thanks a lot. Uh, well, Jonas, why don't we um, why don't we start kind of you know just uh, maybe have you kind of explain a little bit about who you are and 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 what you do. Sure. Um, I uh, uh, like you just said, my name is Jonas Crone, and I am an attorney. I run a solo practice. Um, uh, just by myself, I've been an attorney for for ten years now. And aside from uh, a clerkship with uh, in a in a court, I've been uh, been a solo practitioner the whole time. Now, what kind of law do you practice? Um, over the years, it's sort of been a variety. Uh, I at the moment I do mostly corporate social responsibility uh, work. I've uh, I've been a public defender. I've done uh, land use litigation. I've done environmental work. Um, and a little bit of a general practice as well. 
What exactly is, is you said it was corporate social responsibility. What does that mean? Uh, primarily, I work with socially responsible investment firms and uh, public interest groups that are trying to foster uh, greater environmental and social uh, or better environmental and social behavior uh, with public corporations. Okay. Okay. Well, how did you um, how did you get get interested in in technology and computers? Maybe you can kind of talk a little bit about your about your geek background. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't think I have you know very high geek uh, credentials. Um, you know, I had a, a probably a Commodore 64 in the 80s when I was a kid, and um, probably didn't have another computer again actually until I was in law school in the in the 90s. And um, at that point, had a had a laptop with uh, with Windows on it. It was I'm not sure which version of Windows I had, but. Um, and used it, you know, exclusively for law school work, for uh, writing papers and taking notes and, and that sort of thing. Um, and it really, you know, I, I, you know, and ever since law school, I've, you know, computers have been a central part of my uh, professional life. Um, but strictly as uh, as a user, that didn't really have much to know, didn't really know anything about what was inside that that black box. Um, and that you know changed when uh, when I started to get more interested in open source uh, technology and, and Linux and, and so forth, and then began to to get a little bit more interested in uh, in the plumbing of computers. Now, was that uh, when when you first sort of got interested in uh, free and open source software and things like that? Was that was that prior to your starting your law practice, or was that was that later a little bit later on? Yeah, no, my my law practice. Um, through, you know, since I left law school until um, uh, until January 2005, uh, was exclusively Windows. Um, I was always a solo practitioner and had a variety of laptops and desktops over the years that um, I used for uh, for writing documents, uh, doing legal research. A lot of uh, uh, legal research, well, these days exclusively is is uh, web-based interfaces, um, and email, and you know the occasional scanning of a document. Um, but for the most part, uh, you know, I I uh, I just had one or two machines around running Windows, and um, I didn't really ask too many questions of it, and they, everything sort of did what I thought at the time I needed it to do. So now, how did you first get introduced uh, to Linux? That you know, did did you have a friend that kind of uh, exposed you to it, or how did you first come across it? Yeah, in probably in two thousand and four, um, I had a friend who uh, was a freelance journalist, and um, he periodically would sort of mention, "Oh, you know, I've been using this thing Linux," you know, and I, you know, I had two small children at the time. Um, and you know work and life and i was yeah sort of like okay that's interesting but you know didn't really have any interest in sort of going farther into it um uh but you know he mentioned it again in in january of 2005 uh or somewhere thereabouts and um and for some reason i sort of decided to follow up and, and ask him a few questions about uh about well all right so what is linux and you know why should i have any interest in it and um yeah he basically 
said, uh, well, here, why don't you just take a look at some of these live CDs? And he had a whole pile of them. I think, you know, he had uh, DSL and he had Mepis and I think he had some Ubuntu and I think there was a Mandriva Live. Uh, something like that. And he sort of gave me a whole pile of them and said, just, you know, put these in and, and, and try it out. And I think I put one in and I don't think my computer was even set to boot from the CD and, um, and I was, you know, I called him up. I was like, it's not doing anything. And so he talked me through making the changes in the BIOS. And um, at the time, I was living someplace where I only had access to dial-up. And of all the, the the discs that he gave me, Memphis was the only one that just right out of the box could uh, deal with uh, uh, dial-up uh, for a modem. I had a laptop at the time that uh, had a Win modem in it, and um, and Memphis had. The, the time was configured to to be able to deal with that right away, so I uh, so I ended up uh, trying that out for uh, to to start with. So now this uh, your sort of early experimentation with Linux and playing around with Mepis was this uh, primarily at home, you know, just kind of on the side, or or at you know, did you bring it into the office at some point? Yeah, no, I just tried it on the side. I basically just you know used the live. CD just to sort of get an idea of what it would be like. You know, I tried playing around with, you know, with Firefox, you know, and, you know, Firefox even at that point was something new to me. I've you know, been using Internet Explorer and, uh, you know, just tried using OpenOffice and, you know, just writing some documents and uh, sending a few emails and just sort of, you know, get the, just to get the, the feel of it. Um, but it, it captured my interest. Um, and, uh, and I decided to to not just run it as a live CD, but to you know to to partition my hard drive, which was you know a phrase that I had never heard of, um, and dual boot uh, uh, onto my laptop. You know, hold on to the the Windows side of it, um, but uh, but to put Mepis on 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 the other side, and uh, and I think basically you know, I, I sort of moved a couple folders over. Of work, uh, just to try it. And I said, all right, you know, I'm going to try it today. I brought over some bookmarks and I think I just had my email set up for a web interface at the time, so that wasn't a big deal. And, um, decided to spend a day just, uh, just using it. And, and I liked it and I enjoyed it, uh, and, and decided to, to move over completely. Now, can, can you describe at the, at the office when you, you know, when you finally, uh, you know, brought Linux Linux to the office. What's your setup there? I mean, what do, what are your needs, both from a hardware and a software standpoint, and and sure. what has Linux done or, or or not done to meet those needs? How how easy has it been as a small business owner to to bring Linux into the workplace? Well, I guess uh, you know, uh, sort of a few things come to mind. Um, you know, when I, when I when I, when I decided, okay, I was going to, you know, actually dual boot and bring everything over and 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 really try to run it from the the Linux side of things. Um, you know, I you know, I'm, I'm a sole practitioner. I'm a you know, I don't have a, I don't have an IT staff. I don't have um, uh, you know, computer people on hand to to help me out. Um, but what I did have was I had my friend who had given me the discs, who wasn't necessarily a computer geek, but he had sort of been fooling around with this stuff for a couple of years. And he had a friend who was sort of an acquaintance of mine who was a stay-at-home dad, actually, and um, 
did web design on the side and ran a few servers and did some hosting and had been doing Linux for a long time. And the two of them would walk me through, you know, any sort of, you know, number of questions that that I was running into. Um, and and so I sort of had a had uh, my own sort of personal IT staff to a certain degree to help me out. And that was, you know, I think upon reflection, uh, really critical because, you know, I was stepping into a world that I had no experience with at all. And, you know, I think over the last two years, uh, Linux has come a long way. And two years ago, there were still enough bumps that... Um, that I really needed, you know, someone that I could call and be like, do you have, you know, an hour to sit on the phone here with me and <laughs> walk me through, you know, uh, uh, how to, you know, how to partition the hard drive uh, or, um, or, uh, or deal with, you know, uh, recognizing a, a, a USB, a, an external USB hard drive that's not mounting, you know, and mounting was a word that I didn't even know. So it was very useful for me to have somebody that could that was comfortable with the command line and could go through those things with me and uh, and hold my hand as it were. And then you know probably the other thing I should sort of go back and and, and say is that it, you know I I had you know when I first got introduced to this you know there was you know there would need to be something that sort of motivated me to go through those various hurdles um, and uh, you know it was. I was intrigued by by what the Linux desktop offered because it was different. But part of it was also that that from a professional point of view, I'm dealing with with corporate responsibility and social responsibility on a daily basis, and it was very interesting to start learning more about uh, the computer industry and the software industry and what open source uh, offered, not only at a technical level. But also at um, what would be better for society, and, uh, and I guess to some degree, there's arguments even that it's better for the environment. Um, and and I found all of that and, and and the politics behind it very interesting, and and that was a big part of the motivation as well, was to to understand more of that and to feel a part of to feel part of that, not to feel like uh, I was just taking what was being said to me, but that I was actually being a part of changing the system for the better, and that simply adopting uh, a different operating system was uh, was helping to do that. So it sounds sort of that, uh, that uh, from your standpoint, Linux uh, not only fills a need from a technological perspective in terms of being able to replace the operating systems and, and office suites and that kind of thing that you use, but it also... There, there's some there's some real you know some intrinsic value and some some ethos behind it as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's you know uh, you know I don't want to you know I, don't, I probably don't need to preach to the choir about why <laughs> open source has a lot to offer, but but you know I, I guess suffice it to say that that uh, that uh, that I think it makes a big difference um, for uh, from a social responsibility point of view to support. Uh, to support Linux, to support open source, and not to uh, just be held to proprietary and closed uh, operating systems and, and software. Um, that, uh, that that that's an important thing to 
to to do as well. Which you know, I'm not saying that you know just because you use Windows or because you use Apple that you know that you're uh, that you're a bad person by any means. Uh, you know, I think there's a million reasons why people you know need to 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 do that and should do that. But um, but there's definitely no shortage of a need for people to to start picking up Linux and to start getting that operating system up and uh, and around uh, much more than it is right now. Uh, once you were able to get over the initial, you know, technical hurdles of, you know, with the issues with mounting and, and partitioning and things like that, you know, once you were comfortable with it and got things up and running, what what challenges have you faced just on a day-to-day basis with, with using Linux and, and, and free software and, you know, maybe, I don't know if you use openoffice.org, but just from a practical day-to-day standpoint, working with, with colleagues and other people in the industry, have you, has it, has it ever been a, been a, you know, a, a hindrance? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, e- even though I'm a solo practitioner, I am working with people um, all over the country and constantly sharing documents, sending emails, uh, working on on things, you know, uh, working on projects w- with other people who are not using Linux, who um, are using either Apple or, or Macintosh. And they have no idea. Um, they, 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 you know, they basically see it as seamless. They have, you know, 95% of the time, I should say, they, uh, they see it as, uh, they have no idea that I'm using, that I'm using Linux. You know, most of what I do is, is working with documents. And so I use OpenOffice, um, uh, for, for word, word processing. And, um, you know, regularly I'll start a document, I'll send it, and someone will track changes and send it back to me, and I'll be sending, you know, add my changes to it, and we'll send it to a third and a fourth person, and they'll change it, and, you know, it'll be filled up with track changes, and there's never been, I've never had a problem with respect to that. Occasionally there's a formatting problem, um, you know, the way the the lines come out on a page, and so where a header falls um, might be at the bottom of page one for me and the top of page two for somebody else. And so, you know, every once in a while we need to sort of iron something like that out. Sometimes I'll highlight something in open office and somebody else can't get rid of that highlighting. But those, those kind of things have only happened, you know, probably a handful of times. It really doesn't come up that often. Um, that, uh, that there's, there's some sort of blip, you know, for the most part, I don't use heavy, uh, amounts of formatting, um, you know, if I was more of a litigator, that might become more of an issue because there's a lot of very specific formatting. But for the most part, um, that hasn't been a problem. Uh, you know, email is, is sort of email. I use Thunderbird, and, you know, that's cross-platform, so never have had issues there. Um, you, know, I, uh, you know, spreadsheets, whenever we do those, those have, have been fine as well. I instant message with a handful of people around the country, and I use um, Game. Uh, you know, I think you know I have people that I instant message with that are on Yahoo and Gmail and, and all those, and, and everything has been very seamless. And you know, and that may be in large part because I'm a solo practitioner, and you know, at least within my office, um, I don't have to uh, worry about you know somebody else coming on my computer and being like where is you know microsoft word <laughs> you know where is internet explorer and just not understanding what's going on but you know basically uh you know i uh use a laptop um 
it's a you know a year old uh, HP pavilion. Um, I don't. I'm not a gamer, so I don't need any particularly. Uh, you know, uh, I don't need pretty. I don't need any fancy uh, you know video cards or anything like that. Um, and I've got a second laptop uh, around just uh, in case I've got a couple things going on and I need to to have uh, two computers going at once. And I've got a an old Pentium three um, uh, desktop uh, that's stuck away in a closet that I use as a backup server. And um, I, you know, got you know a printer and scanner and fax and and that's. Pretty much, you know, in terms of uh, technically what I've got. Although I should admit, you know, I have a few external hard drives also for backup purposes um, as well. How about any uh, uh, software, or, or maybe I should ask the question this way: What do you do for things like invoicing and accounting and billing and and some of that kind of you know back end work? Right, right. Um, well, you know, most law offices you know have have some pretty specialized software in terms of um, uh, time time tracking, time sheets, billable hours, um, as well as uh, litigation management and, and all of those sorts of things. I, my practice doesn't doesn't involve any of those uh, requirements because uh, because one, I'm not a litigator, um, and two, um, uh, I'm not needing to coordinate my billing. With anybody else in the office, so I just use uh, KARM, CARM. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, um, which is you know for time tracking. Uh, you know, it's a very simple KDE-based uh, application. I think there's some other time tracking ones that I've, I've tried them as well. I think there's no no time or known time, and uh, a couple others that uh, I just just preference. I just stay with KARM. Um, I use new cash, you know, just in terms of billing, or in terms of you know, just managing accounts and invoicing. Um, you know, I basically am just using uh, spreadsheets uh, through Open Office and uh, and documents through Open Office. Uh, you know, for the most part, I bill by email, um, and so I can just take an invoice that I've uh, put together. In Open Office, which is you know, it's just I have a form and you know, just sort of fill fill in the blanks. And you know, in Open Office, it's very easy to just click on the PDF button and it turns into a PDF that I can then uh, send to a client for uh, for billing purposes. So it's pretty simple. Has the use of of Linux uh, both at home and at office, uh, excuse both at home and in the office, has it uh, has it has it rubbed off on anybody? You know, do you have any clients or or other attorneys that have seen that you know what, what you've been able to do and sort of been inspired as well? I can't say that I've been much of an evangelist. Um, you know, I think a, a couple times early on, you know, I sort of talked to people and sort of like, hey, you know, I've tried this out, and you know, often people just don't, you know, just don't, you know, quite understand it or don't quite get it, um, and. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I think there have been with enough, you know, at least my experience at the beginning was that there was enough bumps that I realized that if somebody's going to do it, they're really, I think my feeling was they really needed to sort of want to do it. And so I haven't, I, I, I haven't been uh, much of an evangelist in that sense. Well, and it sounds like that, uh, that, you know, I think part of it too is that, that 
it may be easier for folks uh, once they understand some of the philosophical issues that you were referencing earlier. Yeah, you know, there's, um, yeah, you know, I think you know, with some with some folks, particularly you know, you know, some people that I work with, you know, some of the philosophical issues. Once they sort of get by some of the technical side of it, the philosophical issues side of it, they they understand better. Um, you know, particularly when it comes to issues like um, like the digital divide and just general societal benefits from from greater innovation. Um, you know, patent issues are a little more obscure for for, for I think most people, but. Um, and this might be just getting a little too far afield, but you know, when you start mentioning patents, and then you relate to pharmaceutical patents, people sort of start getting that, and it actually becomes a sort of interesting. Pharmaceutical patents can become a way to sort of talk about software patents. Um, I know there's some disagreement about, you know, whether that analogy is a really useful analogy, but it does become a way to sort of explain things to people. Do you think that uh, the, the the use of free and open source software is something that uh, you know, tying in with with your actual practice, with the with the kinds of work you do with your clients, is this something that 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 companies should be aware of? I mean, when you're talking about you know corporate social responsibility, things like that. I think the cor- the social responsibility. The let me start over. That that uh, investors that are thinking about social and environmental issues, corporate social responsibility, um, are becoming more and more aware of uh, technology issues when it comes to um, corporate social responsibility. For the most part, the way it has been addressed over the last couple of years has been um, at companies like Yahoo and Google and Microsoft and Cisco with respect to their business practices in China um, and the Great Firewall of China and um, the the cooperation that these companies have developed with the Chinese authorities in order to do business in China. Um, That's primarily how the SRI community has has been dealing with, with technology issues. That may be changing in the future as more knowledge grows and, and as open source uh, gets higher and higher profile. But, but for the time being, that's, that's been uh, the way that I think the SRI community has been looking at, at these sort of technical issues. Well, great, Jonas. Um, is there anything else that you like to talk about or mention? Um, probably the only other thing would be that as an attorney, um, you know, client confidentiality and record maintenance is, has been an important uh, factor for me to consider. Again, you know, I don't have an IT person, so I've had to um, think about uh, encrypting on my laptop in case my laptop uh, gets lost or stolen, um, and and being very diligent not only about backing up uh, to uh, to an external hard drive on the premises, but also having offsite um, backup and, and having that offsite backup be secure and so uh, it's been very interesting just to become aware of the 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 tools um, uh, for backing up and for and for encrypting um, uh, using ENCF, ENCFS I believe uh, for 
for encrypting purposes as well as um, uh, new PGP, GPT, I never get it straight, um, and using rsync for, for backup purposes um, has been a real education for me and, and has been very sort of hands-on um, as I've developed a system that I feel comfortable with in terms of professional responsibility for having um, my clients' records backed up appropriately and having them be secure as well. And I, I'm not very aware of what the tools are in Microsoft. I probably was not as diligent um, when I was on the Microsoft side of things, uh, and probably in large part because I just didn't understand the various issues. Um, but with getting a better understanding of how computers work and, and what the risks are, um, uh, as I've become more involved with Linux, uh, really developing a, a very rigorous system to make sure that, uh, that professionally speaking, that I'm able to provide uh, document retention and um, and security for for my clients. Great. Well, Jonas, uh, thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with me today. I really do appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Yes, hi, this is Tyler calling with a suggestion for a topic that I'd like to have you cover, if you could. Um, my experience with Linux goes back uh, about two years. I, two years ago, I, I built a Mythbox. Um, took a long time. It was a really painful process. I'd never done anything with Linux before, but I got it working. Um, but then the computer died, something uh, with the mother. It's been about two year or about a year since that happened, and I didn't do anything. I've now started up again with Myth uh, and have a box working. Um, the Windows uh, home server uh, product uh, has also interested me in trying to duplicate that with uh, with the Linux box. So I'm adding more functionality to my to box, um, including having a music server that I can access to the Internet as well as a file server at home. And um, I would like to uh, centralize some of the security of my, um, my system on the Mythbox and use that as a server to... Uh, do some active intrusion monitoring and uh, some centralized virus scanning of the other half of my house and Windows boxes as well. So that's my request. Um, is it possible to do a podcast on uh, security, not only how to set your box up and what ports to close and how to minimize the uh, uh, possibility of someone intruding into your Linux box, but also using your Linux box as a uh, as a centralized way of scanning uh your router, like I have a Linksys I use for my um, for my internet access. I'd like to know how the Linux box can work with that to, to back that up as a as a second line of defense, as well as uh, provide some active uh, scanning of the Windows machines for things like viruses and um, checking them to make sure that they are um, protected as well. I've enjoyed your uh, much. I haven't listened to all of them, uh, but I'm working my way through them. And Okay, well, thanks, Tyler. Sorry about that uh, audio there cutting off, but uh, I think I got the gist of your voicemail. And yes, I, as I said before, I definitely plan to do at least one episode, if not more than one, on security. And so, some of the those are some of the things we'll definitely cover. You may want to look at some of the um, sort of the uh, the various distros I've mentioned before that kind of do some of this for you. For example, SmoothWall and MonoWall and PFSense. There's also that Clark Connect distro, which uh, you can use, uh, and then there's uh, Astaro. I haven't used Astaro, but I've used some of those others. And all of those, they have different features and different packages and things like that, but they all 
offer some combination of virus scanning and uh, intrusion detection and you know stuff like that you can either you know do i think some some load balancing and some just all kinds of stuff all kinds of security and and uh uh, you know, backup storage and uh, backup solutions and, and all that. They they try to package a lot of that into these distributions. They're basically Linux distributions that are focused on some of those some of those tools that you're looking for. So I would check those out in the meantime. But I do plan to uh, cover an episode on that. So thanks very much, Tyler. Hello, Chess. This is Antoine from Vienna, Austria. Well, after recording this episode and listening back to it, I realized that this listener feedback that it was really hard to listen to because of the sound quality. So I've decided to take it out. But essentially, he was asking about open source groupware. Okay, well, thanks so much for sending that in. I apologize about that audio. I tried to clean it up as best I could, and there was only so much I could do. I'm not much of an audio engineer. But uh, a couple things. Actually, first of all, before I get to the groupware thing, about running uh, computers, you know, uh, noiseless or fanless computers, I'm sure you've done some research on this. There's a lot of options out there. If you look for any kind of mini ITX system, especially the ones that use the, the VIA motherboards, uh, they're pretty uh, low power. I mean, they're not super fast. You're not going to run them, you know, use games and that kind of thing. But they, they're great for uh, Myth TV boxes and for storage servers and just kind of really low power uh, appliances. And, you know, one thing you can do, this is something I've been looking into lately, is, uh, you know, you can still get a box that's got, you know, a fanless uh, CPU, a fanless motherboard and all that. And, and um, excuse me, rather than using a hard drive, uh, you can look into some kind of uh, flash-based storage sy- uh, system. For example, I know folks who run uh, some systems using a compact flash card. And you can get these IDE to compact flash adapters that uh, either stick right into an IDE slot, I mean, you know, on the on the motherboard, uh, the, the power or the cable slot, or they kind of sit somewhere in your box, and then you just connect the cables up and you stick a compact flash in. And uh, I think most, you know, most modern um, uh, distributions and things can boot to that kind of storage device, and you can get ones that have, that have sort of IDE compatibility in them. I haven't done this yet, so I'm just kind of talking off the top of my head. This is based on some initial research I've been doing. But uh, so there's ways around that. One thing I'm going to be doing is um, I I put something on my blog about getting a Socris. Uh, Socris is a little uh, single board computer. Uh, just go to socris.com. I think it's S O E K R I S. And these are little boards that you can buy, and it's almost like you can make your own router. Uh, you can buy a box, and you can buy a power supply, and you put it all together, and you can put you know BSD on there or Linux or something. And uh, a lot of those run off Compact Flash, so uh, I think that's something that I'm going to be playing with soon. So that should be a lot of fun. But anyway, getting back to your question on groupware, um, the ones uh, there's a couple that I've come across, and I haven't used them all. Uh, one is called Citadel. And uh, I think that's citadel.org. I'll put links to these in the show notes. There's PHP groupware. I think there's open groupware, I believe. I think there's one kind of based on open office or something. And there's uh, Zimbra, which has gotten a lot of press lately. I haven't used Zimbra. I have used Citadel. And it was pretty cool. I mean, it had sort of your typical groupware stuff. I mean, it had email and calendar and contacts. And I think it could set up an LDAP directory for you know address books and all that kind of stuff and i i ran it for a little while i didn't uh, play with it too much and i haven't used zimbra i've heard a lot of people talk about it uh so those are some options for you uh, i i do think there's some pretty good options out there unfortunately i don't know how much they do with syncing with devices but they might work okay uh, i don't think um they don't well there was one that had a microsoft exchange plugin and i'm 
can't remember which one that is off the top of my head, but it didn't sound like that was necessarily a requirement for you. It sounds like you just want something to use at home. So I think any of those uh, solutions might work really well for you. The neat thing about Citadel is I believe if you have a Debian box, it's got a sort of an installer uh, script or something that kind of downloads and builds the whole thing for you because it is sort of a complicated piece of software. It's got a lot of pieces to it. Uh, so that was what I had done on a Debian box a few years ago, and it worked really well. So uh, thank you very much. Let's see. I've got a bunch of emails here, and uh, I won't get to all of them for this week. I uh, don't have, you know, don't. I got, I got a lot. So, uh, but let's see. Here's some. Uh, here's one is, is from Keith. Keith says, Chess, I wanted to take a moment from listening to your show to correct something you said that was an error. During your explanation of the security features of Fedora 7, you said that Red Hat had developed SC Linux. As I have worked for many years as a defense contractor and I'm very familiar with government entities, this statement threw up clangs and bells in my head when I heard it. SC Linux was developed by the NSA, not Red Hat. Security Enhanced Linux is available to any distro that wishes to include it which is what Red Hat and some of the other enterprise-level distros have done. Uh, and he gives me a link to it. He says, I'm actually glad to hear that Fedora has gone to a live CD. I started with that distro back in 95 and switched to Debian around 2000 as I got tired of having to search the web for packages and wanted a central rep repository of packages. Well, that was only one of the reasons. <laughs> Being that I am visually impaired, I was looking for a distro that did not force me to install X and all the bulge that went along with it. Debian best suited my needs for, for that at the, at the house. I also run Red Hat Enterprise, Fedora, and Ubuntu here at the office, and like all of those distros equally. I'm really enjoying the shows. Keep up the great work from Keith. Uh, yeah, Keith, you know what? Um, I apologize, and I knew that. I don't know why I um, <laughs> I had a, uh, a senior moment at that time. I don't know what I was thinking when I said that Red Hat came up with Security Enhanced Linux. It certainly did not. I guess... What I was thinking is they seem to be one of the primary drivers of it, at least in Linux. I know it's in other distributions, and uh, but it just seems that Red Hat focuses on on integrating uh, SC Linux into their uh, distributions, into their operating system. And I actually had another uh, fumble when I was talking about Fedora. I talked about the Yum uh, package manager, and I said it was like yet another something or other. And I I knew what that was, and I don't know why I said it wrong, but it was actually it's the Yellow Dog updater modified or update modified something like that but it had it came from yellow dog linux which was a ppc linux based on red hat years ago i think they're now based on CentOS, if i recall correctly uh so anyway that is what yum stands for so thank you keith here is an email from erno actually erno is one who sent in an audio voicemail and included a little email with it so and he says, given all the talk about a suitable phone system, I was surprised that you weren't using Asterisk or Trixbox. Give that a try and maybe have a podcast about it. Thanks for your effort and shows. They are truly great. Erno. Yeah, Erno, I, uh, the only reason I haven't gone that route is I just, I'm out of boxes at the moment. And uh, the number of boxes and servers I have running is pretty staggering. And I just can't add another one at this time. And so that's really the only reason. So I've been meaning to give Asterisk or a tricks box a go. And so when I do, uh, that's something I'm going to try out. So thank you very much. Here's one from Drew. Drew says, Hey, Chess, I absolutely love the show. Thanks to your show and a couple of others, I've successfully made the switch to Linux. I have learned enough from your show and just playing around enough to get myself into trouble. But I am now able to get myself out of trouble on my own without having to reinstall the OS. I have signed up for the Ohio Linux Fest in September and look forward to maybe seeing you there. I have a suggestion for a future show topic. I would like to hear a review of the file systems and what the advantages and disadvantages are of some of the file systems, i.e. RiserFS, EXT2, 3, 4. I've heard that RiserFS is better at handling small file sizes, while EXT2 and 3 are better at handling larger sizes. 
or larger files. Maybe you could explain these features a little better for the audience. Thanks for the great show, Chess. Later, Drew. Drew, that's a good idea, and I do think that's a topic I'm going to get to. Uh, I used to use uh, Riser FS quite a bit, and uh, over the last several years, I switched to EXT3. I don't really know why. I just, I, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things I just do kind of out of habit. Here's one from Peter. Peter says, hello, Chess. Uh, greetings from, I'm going to get this wrong, Chiang Mai. Never heard of it? Well, the location is just outside the Golden Triangle, years ago well-known for the production of drugs, <laughs> and it is the second largest city in the northwest of Thailand. Part of the soon-to-be-released new Rambo movie was made here. This city is so typical in many of the region. People do not think about which operating or software to use since you can drop by the market and buy Windows or a selection of well-known software for about $2 per CD. No restriction and no risk. If only Microsoft and the other big names would do something about the rampant piracy, it would be just great. People would start thinking about the FOSS alternatives and also consider other operating systems. I guess Microsoft does nothing since if people had to use genuine software there, there would be no way that Windows would be used since it is just too expensive relative to what people earn. Microsoft would just lose market share. It would be a huge shift since the culture is firmly about, I guess, buying a copy. The problem with all of this for me is that I'm very much on my own. I have, if I have any problems, I have to fix it. There is never any opportunity of outside help. I run Ubuntu 7.04 on my family home computers. It is so very stable, and after a lot of learning pain, it is actually quite nice to use. Setting up a home server is my next target, but whilst installing the software is easy, configuring the packages is close to being a pain. I have so many issues which make life difficult at times. For example, if I want to find out, say, what a particular command does, it is easy. Just look it up on the web. However, if I want to know what to do, like find out which sound card is identified or which drivers use, it is really hard to find out which commands to use to solve the problem. All sites and books do it the other way around. Here is the command and this is how to use it, rather than here is the problem and this is how to approach it. That's a good point. I do enjoy your podcasts. They do bring such a lot of extra information that I would never have otherwise discovered. Thanks for your efforts, Peter. Yes, Peter, those are very good points. And yeah, I don't know really what else to add to that as far as you know, finding out the commands and, and figuring out how to diagnose hardware issues and things like that. Um, I mean, you know, two of the commands that come to mind are dmessage and lspci. Those are two that kind of give you a bunch of messages that give you hardware outputs, but then how to interpret that is awfully is often hard. I mean, when I have run into hardware issues, I usually just print out those things and look for the error messages and just Google for them. But you know, I know that's not much help either. So uh, maybe you know, check out the forums at linuxreality.com and see if anybody can help. But thank you, Peter. Here's one from Jurgen. Jurgen says, Hi, Chess. I'm a Linux Ubuntu fan since the first release of Ubuntu and love to listen to your podcast on my long hour, hour business trips in the car. Hence my request. Do you think you could manage to record the whole thing a bit louder? It's kind of frustrating, especially in the car. I use my headphones also in the car, trying to turn up the volume of my iPod only to realize it is already on full blast. Greetings from Austria. From Jurgen. Well, Jurgen, I will try. I, I really try to actually... Um, get the audio up as loud as I can without it, you know, popping or without it, you know, uh, going, going too high, uh, where you, where you start getting those, you know, kind of, um, you know, where the, where the noise gets louder than, than the, uh, what it should be. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to blank on what I'm, what I'm looking for now, uh, what word I'm looking for. But anyway, uh, Jurgen, I will continue working on that. So <laughs> thanks for that email. Okay, last one from this week is from Steve. Uh, Steve says, Hi, Chess. I discovered your podcast a few weeks ago, and I'm making my way through them. Only 10 to go. I've been tinkering with Linux as a hobby for the last six years or so and have finally settled on Ubuntu as my distro of choice. On the back of this, I have introduced a few open source tools into the workplace. 
IP Plane, which is an IP address management tool, and Cacti, which is a great tool for graphing various network metrics, i.e. link utilization. I found the Music Server podcast very interesting, but you missed my favorite streamer, Edna. It's a tiny piece of code that anyone interested in music streaming really must have a look at. Another software package that I found really useful is FreeNX. It uses the no machine code, which I can best describe as the open source version of RDP, but for Linux. Anyway, many thanks for brightening up my commute and keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, very nice email. I've never heard of Edna, so that's definitely one I'm going to have to check out. So thanks for that feedback. Thanks to everybody else who sent in all the uh, great emails over the last week. I apologize if I didn't get to it, uh, but please keep them coming in. I read every single one, and I try to respond to as many as I can. I just I can't get to all of them, but and I try to read you know as many as I can in a show. So uh, and. You know, please keep them coming. And I think with that, it's time to wrap it up for this week. Okay, well, that is going to do it for another episode of Linux Reality. Thank you so much uh, to Jonas for the interview. I really enjoyed talking to him, and I hope you all enjoyed listening to it. Uh, feel free to send me an email at linuxreality at gmail.com. We've also got uh, two listener hotline numbers. The first one is 1-202-552-1525, which you can call from any telephone. Uh, the other one is 1-206-338-6359. I've also got a Gizmo account, so if you use Gizmo, you can just look up. Uh, my username is Linux Reality. And there's a separate SIP number, which I'm still working out how to, how to do that from other clients. So... Uh, bear with me while I try to update that. But anyway, all that information is on linuxreality.com slash contact. Uh, you can also check out the uh, IRC channel on freenode.net, irc.freenode.net. The channel is uh, hash Linux Reality. And, of course, we've got the great forums, linuxreality.com slash forums. Uh, over a 1,000 people in there and a lot of good discussions in there every single day. Please do check it out. Thanks, everyone, for all the great feedback and for hanging in there. And uh, until then, until then, until next time. Y'all take care. Have a great week and a great weekend. This has been episode 68 of Link's Reality. See you later. Bye-bye.